0: We're glad for each one that's been able to come to our Gardening Class 101. I'm Joel Meyer from Monument Valley, Utah, and uh, I'm excited about being able to share the joys of gardening. So let's begin with a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you that you love us and that you have given us the privilege of cooperating with the divine creative elements that you have placed around us in nature. We pray that as we consider the laws that govern growth and development, that you will be here with us and that you will bless us with your spirit, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're in the southern part of Utah uh, on the Navajo Reservation where we have uh, Monument Valley Mission and Diné Health and Healing Center. First of all we're uh, going to be looking at uh, site selection and some of the things that to consider when we're looking for the right spot is full sun with a southern slightly uh, sloped area. Sometimes these considerations, uh, you can't uh, plan around them. You already have the place where uh, you are gonna to need to have your garden. But if you have the opportunity uh, these are good things to consider. Here um, uh, is a uh, an area actually near in West Virginia, and um, as you look at just by observation, some areas it's easy to make evaluations by the kind of plants that are growing and how they're growing and here you can see the broom grass that's growing which shows you that your uh, soil is a little acidic um, which can be corrected with the application of lime and here it's slightly sloping and then it becomes steeper and some of those steeper areas you can use for more permanent things like raspberries, grapes or fruit trees and the uh, less sloped, where you would have a problem with erosion, if, uh, if it was too steep, are uh, where you'll want to plan the garden. And then just by observing the soil, you can evaluate some things. How deep that topsoil is, and sometimes within a fairly close proximity, the the soil uh, characteristics can change so uh, we're looking for the ideal soil would be a sandy loam um, which will have good drainage Um, we plants don't like to have wet feet um, so you don't want to choose a place that is um, going to be uh, marshy or uh, damp, and clay soil is uh, good at retaining nutrients um, and uh, water, but it uh, it can be hard to work, especially when it 's wet so um, And here is just a a picture that shows a a damp spot you want to avoid where it's going to be continually wet. Now I stuck this slide in because um, it's it's out um, in the desert there where we live. Uh, A group of young people who were taking a summer program, they wanted a day uh, focusing on agriculture which is very much needed uh, in our area. There's not very much food produced and people don't think about uh, producing their own food very much. So I was happy to take this opportunity and the place that they had for us to put in the garden uh, was had no preparation at all. And uh, so we were, needing to uh, try to make it successful, and uh, so we, I took a number of alfalfa hay bales along with me, and this was just pure sand, it, but it was hard and packed, and uh, we moistened it up. We incorporated a bunch of alfalfa hay, which uh, would give it uh, nutrients, and uh, then we planted it that day and it was by someone's house they were going to maintain it but the point that I would like to make is that any soil can be improved so you know if it's heavy clay if it's just pure sand uh, like we have there where we are um, any soil can be improved and uh, it it can be improved quite quickly Um, if the right steps are taken. And Steve will be sharing that later on, steps to productive soil. And here we have uh, an example of what you might look at as um, the ideal uh, setting. Um, It's sloped slightly It's a little bit to the uh, south facing. Um, It's nice, rich, uh, loamy soil, but you don't always have that kind of an option. Uh, Not far from this spot, we had a plot that was right by the elementary school. And I wanted to have the school garden right outside the school. But there was a granite gravel shelf underneath with only about eight inches of soil on top. And the alfalfa never grew very well there, but I really wanted to have the garden there. And so in the fall, I took a a whole bunch of old alfalfa hay bales and took uh, about one compression of the baler thick and put it all over the top and tilled it in with the rotavator in the fall. And then in the spring, we planted the school garden. And I don't have a photo of it, but it turned out just beautiful. Patches of lettuce and carrots and spinach and it just, showed me how quickly um, deficient soil can be improved. Here you can see the um, rows are placed uh, along the hillside so that uh, soil will not be allowed to erode as easily. So on a slope like this you'll want to run your rows along the hillside rather than up and down. Okay, Garden Planning and Crop Rotation. Um, You'll want to measure your garden plot and uh, lay it out to scale. You can use some graph paper. um, But having a plan ahead of time is really important so that you can think it through carefully and know what you're going to do, because timing is very important with agriculture. And when it's time to uh, begin the early things, you don't want to be trying to figure out then what you're going to do. So when the snow is flying and it's cold winter days, it's a great time to get out the seed catalogs, but to make your garden plan, there by the fireplace and be able to have it all laid out ahead of time. And I think that it's uh, important when a person is getting started to not try to make it too big. Especially if you're having to uh, make significant improvement to the soil, it's better to improve Uh, very well a small area and intensively utilize it than to be trying to keep up with a large area and not be able to do a very good job of it and it it will save you a lot of work to just focus on a smaller area and enable it to do very well than to make a too large a uh, to try to undertake too large of an area. Um, And then we want to uh, group together the perennials like um, asparagus or strawberries, and I usually put them to the side. Um, And uh, any fruit trees, you can put those along the sides uh, so that they're um, out of the way of your regular annual plants. okay then it's important to have a standard row spacing that will take into consideration your means of, of cultivating it. So if you're using a troy built um, then you'll want to make your spacing so that you can get, the tiller in between your rows. If you're doing a a smaller garden and you're just doing it all by hand uh, with a hoe, um, then you can have your spacing closer together and do it more intensively. And then to keep in mind the, the need if you have little critters you need to keep out and uh, where your source of water supply is. So here you can see the these are apricot trees to the right and uh, then the uh, bed of carrots and uh, so you can plan to put some things that do Uh, nicely in beds. We can put them in the beds and other things in the row spacing, which here we can see some of the things that that work well in in beds like radishes, spinach, um, and uh, lettuce, um, carrots, beets, (coughs) and A typical spacing uh, for the radish or spinach um, would be just uh, four inches. Um, And then for the um, carrots on a bed, we'll usually place them at uh, 10 to 12 inch spacing. Okay, the question is uh, about strawberries. I still place them off to the side so that they are out of the way for my main um, cultivation. But it's really up to you what works best for you. The crop rotation that we're gonna talk about, look at here, is focusing on um, rotating, the main annual plants um, but the uh, perennials you still could look at um, rotating them, say, from side to side of your of your garden um, so here you can see the uh, the spacing on um, on beds um, and then uh, for row spacing um, for things like um, corn and beans and cabbage, um, to have uh, 30-inch rows, and uh, to have your Things grouped together especially like for corn where um, it needs to have proper pollination so you want to have them in a block so that the wind will enable the pollination to take uh, place nicely. Um, for things like asparagus your tall peas Um, and for um, the squash uh, that would be the summer squash um, a 60 inch row spacing works real nice and then for your uh, vining things like um, the winter squash and uh, watermelon those things uh, a, a wider spacing of like 160 inches works out real nicely. So here are um, the the corn is grouped together. Uh, Sweet potatoes uh, is a really nice uh, storage crop and they're easy to grow Um, and they're, they're just a really nice thing to be able to have in the winter time to get lots of vitamin A and here you can see also in planning your spot, it's nice to have it where it's, it's easily accessible to the house, where you can just step out the back door, um, if possible, where it's nearby. OK, crop rotation is the practice of changing the location of crops in the garden from year to year. This is really important on the long haul for um, disease prevention and also to maintain uh, nutrient, uh, building up the nutrients of the soil. So here are some uh, things that we want to keep in mind as we're uh, looking at uh, crop rotation. Uh, What are the... uh, soil and nutrient demands. We want to look at the botanical families, the insect and disease problems, and cultural practices. And here you can see the um, brassica family plants are grouped together. cabbage, broccoli, cauliflower, and so forth. By utilizing crop rotation, we're maintaining diversity. Diversity botanically with the nutrient needs and the pest and disease problems. We're alternating uh, legumes with non-legumes and long rotations are better than short rotations. So, the um, we'll be looking at in your handout. Um, oh, a long rotation. Okay. Um, rotation is um, planting a different crop in. A given place on a different year. And so by having a rotation that is, say, like a three year rotation, it's three years before you come back to the same crop again, or you have a five year or six year rotation, it would be six years before you come back to the same crop. Uh, Does that answer your question? Okay. Some plants are particularly susceptible to disease, say like tomatoes. And if you plant tomatoes in the same place year after year, you'll uh, very quickly have multiple problems. Whereas by rotating um, the plants and having other plants uh, that are diverse, that don't have the same disease problems grown in that area it will help to minimize uh, your disease uh, problems and then having a period of rest uh, a rest year say a year when you just grow a cover crop uh, that can be uh, building the soil and uh, then that cover crop be turned in to uh, improve the uh, organic matter, to improve the nutrient uh, base in the soil. Yes, Um, there are several things that are, the question was about um, how to deal with disease in tomatoes in the greenhouse and there are several things that are done to address that one is they sometimes uh, put hoop houses on, on rollers so that you actually move it uh, to another spot um, and so that can help uh, immensely. The other thing that is often done is to, uh, on the off season, to solarize the uh, soil by putting down a black tarp to help um, fry the uh, disease organisms. Uh, that would be a whole growing season. That will be built into your overall plan. Um, um and s- we potentially want to have the rotation so that the uh, as long as possible, so in other words, say like a six year rotation with the seventh year being a rest year um, that way we are um, incorporating uh A longer time between the same plant being grown in the same space and your your handout helps to uh, highlight that okay some of the um, factors that we need to take into consideration when we're thinking of crop rotation is the hardiness of the plant and I would encourage all of you that are uh, just getting started to find someone in your area that is an experienced gardener and um, develop a friendship with them. There's so much that you can learn and just the little questions that you have as you go along, you can bounce off of them. Um, But one of the things that's really important, if you're just moving to a new area, is to find out when is the last frost in the spring and approximately when is your first frost in the fall. Now weather patterns are changing some uh, and so, and there's some variation year to year, but having an approximation so that you have a Uh, a point of reference for planting all of your spring crops in reference to that last frost is really important. So here we're looking at the the hardiness of the plants and so the ones that can be planted um, that can take some freezing weather are carrots, lettuce, onions, parsley, peas, radishes, and spinach. And then the semi-hardy that can take frost but not a hard freeze would be beets, broccoli, cabbage, cauliflower kale, potatoes, and Swiss chard. Uh, this would be in this sp- uh, either way. Um, but this would be in the spring, like uh, for your spring planting. Mm-hmm. So um, if you're starting these uh, semi-hardy ones that we just described, uh, if you're starting them indoors, then we generally can look at having them ready to set out approximately four weeks before uh, the last frost because they can take some, uh, some light uh, freezes. And then the tender ones, cucumbers, green beans, summer squash, sweet corn, tomatoes, Um, these can't tolerate frost. And then the very tender ones, the ones that um, are very warm loving plants would be like cantaloupe, lima beans, okra, soybeans, squash, sweet potatoes, watermelon, and peppers. Okay then another way to evaluate the uh, plant plants is by their nutrient demands, their nutrient needs. So and particularly their requirement for nitrogen. So we have the heavy feeders. That would be like asparagus, broccoli, Brussels sprouts, cabbage, cauliflower. These are large leafy plants, collards, um, celery, sweet corn, cucumbers, eggplant, endive, and kale. Um, and then going on, kohlrabi, leeks, lettuce, okra, peppers, pumpkins, rhubarb, spinach, summer squash, and winter squash, and tomatoes. And then we have the light feeders, the ones that don't take quite as much nitrogen and are able to do well. And that would be beets, carrots, onions, parsnips, potatoes, radishes, rutabagas, sweet potatoes, Swiss chard, and turnips. And then we have the legumes, the soil builders. All of the all the ones in the bean family. Uh, dried beans, uh, green beans, peanuts, peas, and soybeans. And clover and alfalfa are also soil builders. So by using them uh, on a rest year as a cover crop, um, you can uh, help build the soil. But here we're looking at how the the nutrient demands, the nitrogen need of these various uh, plants and we will want to have them in a rotation so that the heavy feeders are um, not being uh, planted in the same place year after year. So we want to have a soil building plant followed by a uh, heavy feeder and then followed by a light feeder and then back to a soil builder again. So do you see the, that way um, the, the nitrogen that the soil builder takes out of the air, it fixes on the nodules of its roots, will then be available for the heavy feeder uh, a year following that, and then a light feeder a year following that. And then followed by a uh, soil-building uh, plant. Okay. And here's an actual uh, layout of uh, a garden plan, uh, fitting these ideas together. So you have in the in, you, in the gray you have. Uh, a heavy feeder, and then followed by a uh, a light feeder, and then the soil builder, and heavy feeder, light feeder, and then a rest year. And here's another uh, layout with the sweet corn as the heavy feeder in a block and then on the uh, other end of the block with the winter squash, cucumber and summer squash and then um, the light feeders lettuce, spinach, kale, Swiss chard carrots and beets and uh, onions in, in the beds these, uh, these crops work very nicely, putting them into a bed. And then uh, the soil builder of the peas, and then the other uh, broccoli, cabbage, and cauliflower, the heavy feeders. Um, and beans and the potatoes, tomatoes in in a block, followed by a rest year. So here you can see that there are um, there are two rotations, uh, there are two three year cycles followed by a rest year. And that's a really nice way to do the uh, crop rotation. Okay, here's a thought on the uh, principle of rest from Fundamentals of Christian Education 323. There is much mourning over unproductive soil when if men would read the Old Testament scriptures, they would see that the Lord knew much better than they in regard to the proper treatment of land after being cultivated for several years and giving her treasures to the possession of man portions of the land should be allowed to rest and then the crops should be changed so here we can see the principle of of rest and Of crop rotation and it says portions of the land so it gives the idea that it wouldn't all be uh, resting at the same time. Okay, Um, we have a few minutes if there are any questions. So you would have one uh, garden or one section that you're working on uh, that you would allow to rest or to grow a cover crop like a a leguminous, uh, like clover. And uh, it will do amazing things for the texture of the soil and for the nitrogen uh, quality of the soil. Right, so this would move from year to year. So this section is uh, in the yellow is in the soil uh, building uh, phase and then then the broccoli and cabbage and cauliflower would move to this section the following year and the potatoes and so you would move it up one each year you have a rotation. Sometimes we'll do it based on plant families and both of these are out of the nightshade family okay. and so they're susceptible to certain diseases and it's nice to have them grouped together for that reason. Okay, so it make any difference? It's not that critical and for the tomatoes needing a little bit more nutrients you can just add that underneath the tomato as you're planting it. Um, Yes, Uh, what would be considered a hard freeze? Well, anything under 32 degrees is going to um, damage the ones that we said can't handle frost. So, you know, if, if there's danger of frost, they have to be protected with something. So it depending on how hard the freeze is going to be, would depend how you might protect it. If it's just you know, a couple degrees, then maybe a floating row cover would protect it. But um, if it's going to be harder, then, you know, hot caps are another way that we protect the early uh, plants that we set out okay yes it's better to have it covered uh, on a rest year than just sitting there yes if you look this the land is always trying to cover itself so uh, it will grow weeds it will do anything to be covered so but if we grow something that is uh, that is uh building the soil that would be great, yes, there was one more question here okay um, this would be um, this would be a one year uh plan and uh but we didn't really get into successive plantings. We'll talk about that in the next session um, so some of these beds, uh, we, that where uh, we have crops that only take a shorter time, we can come in and plant successive plantings in there also. So, um, not necessarily, but it could be. This media was brought to you by Audioverse,